thank you for bringing us together in this day that you set apart for us to rest in you. And especially tonight, to rest in everything that you have conquered in our behalf. Please be with us, open up our minds and hearts so that we can hear the conquering Lamb and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids, have you ever seen a video or perhaps a picture of our planet take from space? It's just a beautiful and peaceful, um, amazing picture. Looks so, com I would say, looks in a complete order. Beautiful. But looks can be what sometimes? That's right. Deceiving. Especially for me and you here, you and me, we are here and we know what's going on here. We know the brokenness of this world. And during the last week, the youth minister had the opportunity even to see more close the brokenness of this world. We know what's going on in the Middle East. We know what's going on here in the United States, how the church is falling apart, how a Christian nation is going in immoral disorder right now. And it seems that the more we know about those things, we tend to despair. You tend to lose our hope. And so many questions come to our minds, such as, what's going on here? Is this world going anywhere? Is there any future for this world? Will my kids still be living in a planet, in a world that's safe? Is this world going, having a good outcome? And the main question here in this text is, is anybody in charge here? Is anybody in control here? Please let me know who is in control. Is our president, Donald Trump, is he the one in control here? So those questions are genuine questions for us. And those questions are even applicable to our lives. Is God still in control of my life? We just heard about our sister. They had to run to the hospital. Is God still in control of his church? It's another question. Is God still planning to take us to a perfect place? Is God still planning to make us a perfect people? Is God still in control to lead us to heaven where we're going to perfectly enjoy Him forever? Is God still in control of all of these things? Sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't look so. I don't know if you have ever felt in that way. The brothers and sisters, at such times we need to step back and see the big picture and see how everything fits together under God's control. And the book of Revelation is an amazing book for us to run. Especially chapter 5, which is the climax of this big picture from which we can see the vantage points of eternity, how God is ruling everything. And the answer that we're going to have tonight for all these questions is, yes, there is a point to all of this. Yes, there is a goal that we are heading toward. 
Yes, history does have a final destination. And it's a good one. At least for those who trust in Christ. Yes, there is someone in charge. And the good news is that he's not only in charge to reveal all those things. He's not only in charge to reveal the course of your life, the final destination of his church, but he's ruling all things for the goodness, for the sake of his church, for the ministry of his gospel, and the fulfillment of his kingdom. So that's the good news today. So I hope you can see that because Christ conquered, he's worthy of being charged. And he is worthy of all worship. And that is what chapter 5 is all about. The worthiness of the Lamb. Basically, we're going to break down this chapter in three main moments. Moments that we ordinary Christians, sometimes we face. Of course we face. Problem, solution, and response. So let's jump to our first point here. The problem. What is the problem here that led John to despair and weep and loudly? The problem, verse 1 to 4. Turn with me, verse 1 to 4. And if you have your Bibles, please see how many times the word scroll appear from verse 1 to 4. It appears four times. Four times. In other words, this scroll here is a key element for us to understand the problem, even the solution. The scroll symbolizes ownership. It's like our car title. You know, you can drive a car, but the car is only yours if the title is in your name. The scrolls here symbolize ownership, especially the ownership that God has over His creation. It's a legal document. It is the title deed to earth and creation as God's possession by the rights of his creation. That's what John is understanding here. As Psalms 24 describes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, belong to the Lord because he created now, you may also remember from Leviticus chapter 25 that in a very micro-scale sense, God gave this land, at least a piece of his land, to his covenant people. And they were not supposed to sell the lands. And they were not supposed to sell. In verse 23, the Lord says to them, listen, the land must be... The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. It's a gift from God, but they were not supposed to sell because the land belongs to the Lord. In the following verse in chapter 25 of Leviticus, the Lord explained that if in any case an individual for being poor, going through a financial problem, had sold his land, he still had opportunity to redeem the land. And the opportunity was by one of his relatives, one of his kin could come and buy it back. Now, kids, where in the Bible have you seen 
a person receiving a land from God to be God's royal steward, to be God's steward and reign according to His will, according to His holiness and righteousness and justice. And that person end up losing it. Exactly, in Genesis, with Adam. With Adam. He lost God's given dominion. Everything that God gave him, he lost it. And since then, since the fall, he is the problem. Mankind, we are not in control anymore. We are not in charge anymore. And our problem goes beyond, as you can see, beyond any unjust poverty, immoral disorder, racial conflict. Our problem is much bigger. As I was sharing in this mission trip, the society doesn't need another moral law, another way of living. Um, they need the gospel. And throughout this week, I pushed the youth ministry, and they did so well. And I was very encouraged. Because that's the good news. There is no good news before without having the bad news. And on top of that, we have Satan as well, who became the god of this world. So today, if you go out and see our world falling apart, remember, this is just the result, just the results of the fall and the partial govern of the evil one. So that's the redemptive meaning of the scroll here, showing the falling state of this world. But what is the content of this scroll? As I said, the scroll is key for us to understand here. What is the content? Basically, the scroll here in our text represents God's plan, not only for His church, not only for His covenant people, but for all mankind. In particular, God's plan of vindication and salvation, redemption to His people, and God's plan of judgment, condemnation, to his enemies. So this scroll here is not only concerned believers, but also non-believers. But in order for God's plan to be accomplished, the scroll must be opened. In verse 2, John here hears this key question. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And see that the question here is not who can. It's about worthiness. It's not about physical ability. Anyone can open scrolls just to break in small seals and we'll be done. But the question here, who is worthy? And also notice in verse 1, how many seals we have here. We have seven seals, which symbolize divine perfection. Meaning, this scroll here is perfectly in divine seal, so only one who is perfect and divine could come. You'd be worthy to open it. Now, remember that the person that must be 
worthy here must come and open the scroll. Must be a man as well. He has to be a man. He has to be a king's man of Adam to open the scroll. For it, it is the lost state of man that has to be redeemed. So we are running a huge problem here. So we are looking for someone who is 100% man and who is a 100 righteous divine who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls. Verse 3 answers this question in line with Psalms 14 and even Romans chapter 3. No one was found. As Paul says, no one is righteous, even one, even one. And there was a silence. And that's the silence of bad news. That's the sign that we hear so much in a loudly way. When we became blind, deaf to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the silence that I heard when I was 10 years old, when I started questioning my salvation. That's the silence of bad news. But John breaks, as you can see, John breaks this silence and starts to weep. And weep loudly over the fact that no one was found to open the scroll, which would mean that no one would be able to accomplish God's plan. The plan of vindication, redemption of Christ's church, and judgment, condemnation. The evil that you, you see now, you carry on without being punished. That's why John is crying. It's not just a feeling bad. No, it's not just because he's fearing that he's going to hell or something like that, as we heard this morning. He wants to see God being glorified through the vindication of Christ's church and the condemnation of his enemies. That's why he's weeping, weeping here, crying because of his desire to see the vindication of Christ's church. And how many of us still has this feeling, I want to see Christ be glorified by the final vindication? The contrary might be truth. We are getting used too much to this planet, to this world, to this life. How many of us are still praying and desiring to see Christ coming again and bringing us all together, vindicating us? So John cry and cry loudly. So that's the cry we should carry in our hearts until... Our Lord returns. And basically, that's the cry of the martyrs in chapter 6. How long, O Lord? How long will your church be persecuted here? Are you still in control? You can see how hopeless and powerless we are when it comes to salvation and judgment. This is how John seems to be feeling in these brief moments right now, crying. And perhaps that's the kind of cry that you are going through right now. A crying that 
longs for God's intervention in your life. And after crying, John heard the good news, the solution. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. That's the good news. John first heard about the lion who conquered. But then in verse 6, if you can look, John turns and sees the lamb having all visible mark of being slain. And yet the lamb is not laying on the ground dead, but is standing at the centers of heaven's adoration, receiving all worship. Why? Because he's worthy, because he conquered, because he's in control of God's plan for all mankind. So here we have a paradox solution, as you can see. The lion is also the lamb. As you know, Jesus conquered not by force, but by suffering, an obedient suffering. Not by violence, but by death, a sacrificial death. And the lamb here is the main focus. We could speak about the lion here, but what John is getting here, his, his attention here is on the lamb, because the triumph of the lion is based on the sacrificial suffering, is based on the sacrificial blood of the lamb. And there are two implications here, having Jesus in control as being the Lamb of God. There are two implications here that John sees. Now Jesus being presented to him as the Lamb of God, in control, in charge of everything. And the first one we can see here, the first implication of Jesus being in control is related to the suffering rule of the Lamb. And we are very familiar with that. We know throughout the, the Old Testament history, we see God anticipating the role of Christ in redemption through this figure, the Lamb, as God maintained, as God renewed, as God sustained His covenant people. Starting in the Passover Lamb in Egypt, Going into Isaiah 53, the suffering lamb. So during the entire redemptive history of God's people in the Old Testament, the lamb was in control. The lamb was in charge of redeeming, cleansing, purifying, atoning for the sins of God's people. That's the role, the redemptive role here. Now, as we move into the New Testament era, we see that Jesus is the one who fulfilled the role of the Old Testament lamb. And we see in the same way, by mediating a new covenant, but now with the people from every tribe, every language, nation, by doing the same by doing the same of the Old Testament lamb, 
by redeeming us through the removing of our sins and transgressions by His sacrificial blood. As Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18, 19, we are not redeemed by perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's the first implication of Jesus' role as the lamb. And it's pretty much in light of Jesus' first coming. Now we have the second implication that John is seeing here. It's a full gospel that he's getting here. And the second implication of Jesus being in control as the lamb of God here is relating to the judging role of the lamb. And that's something that we don't think too much. Because we see that lamb as a suffering, very passive. Verse 6. John tells us that he saw a lamb with, with seven horns and with seven eyes. Which basically means that the lamb has complete power and knowledge. And knowledge here is explained in terms of the seven spirits of God being sending out in all the earth. In other words, the lamb have a perfect, complete knowledge of what's going on with the entire creation. Now, you may wonder how this perfection and completeness in power and knowledge here symbolized by the seven horns and the seven eyes, how is that related to the judging role of the Lamb over all mankind? Go to chapter 6. Turn your Bible to chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. When this scroll is finally opened and then revealing God's ultimate plan for mankind, Ultimate judgment upon his enemies. Verse 16, we are told that the people are calling the mounts and rocks upon themselves, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Can you see that? The wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of their, plural, wrath has come who can stand and here you have again a paradox solution because the suffering lamb is also the judging lamb that's why it's important for John to see that the lamb has complete power and complete knowledge because of his rule of vindicating God's people and his rule of judging God's enemies He's in control of everything. Vindicating God's people through His blood and judging God's enemy through His holy, just, righteous wrath. And this judgment role of Christ as the Lamb can be also explained in terms of Christ's second come. It will be one-time event. The church will be vindicated Redeemed once for all, and God's enemies will be judged once for all, too. 
The question is, so what? What is the appropriate response to the lamb? We know we were not in charge. But God sent his son, the lamb, to be in charge. Not just to vindicate us, but to judge his enemies. What is the response? In a word, pretty clear here. Worship. Worship. We are called to worship him. Verses 8 to 14. Just as in chapter 4, the living creatures and the 24 elders here, representing the church of all ages, they had worshipped the Father for being the creator. Now in chapter 5, they all together with innumerable hosts of angels here, they were all worshipping the Son for being the Redeemer. For being the Redeemer. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, He is worthy of all worship. But this week, as we went out, we have a couple of people, oh, so many people, by the way, just fixing here, so many people questioning through their, through their faces, why is Christ worthy? Especially the Muslims' family that we approach. Why is he worthy? Why do you worship Christ as God? And here's the answer. Because he conquered. He conquered. Pretty simple answer. You may recall that this heavenly worship started in verse 5. When one of the elders announced to John that Christ has conquered. Why not saying what he conquered? But saying that he is now worthy, able, in his righteousness to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now in verse 9 and 10 says, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open seals because... And then what follows is a list of what Christ has conquered, which make him worthy of all worship. And let me point a few things here that Christ conquered before we address how we should answer, how should we respond to respond to the worthiness of the Lamb. First thing here that Christ conquered here, we can see that by his death, resurrection, he conquered all his enemies. All his enemies. By the way, our enemies, by whom we were slaves. By whom we were slaves. And I hope you still remember the summary of God's plan that I gave. A perfect people in a perfect place, perfectly enjoying God's forever. Is God still in control? Still planning to do that? Yes. And the only way for God to accomplish that is by Christ conquering our enemies. Sin, death, even Satan. That has to happen. And he did so as one of Adam's kings, as one of king's men of Adam. He ransomed a people from every tribe and language and nation. That's why he's worthy. Because he conquered 
as a man in this flesh, in this body. But he is also worthy because he did all of this for God's glory. Verse 9, And worthy are you to take the scroll and to open seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You see that? For God. Before going to Pittsburgh, I make one simple question. Why we are doing this? And right away, one of you said, because of God's glory. I still remember when I was in Amazon leading a um, mission trip. And unfortunately, our boat sank close to the bank. And we had all our clothes wet. Of course, everybody starts to put our clothes to, to dry on the sun. But next day morning, everything disappeared. The indigenous, the Indians stole everything. And in, in my holiness, you know, those kind of holiness when you are mad, <laughs> they are not worthy. I travel uh, 5,000 kilometers, I don't know by miles, sorry, to come here to preach the gospel, and they took advantage from us here. They are not worthy. And inside of me, I heard something that I know Americans don't like to. to. Shut up, Eric. <laughs> you are not here for them, first of all. You are here for me because of my glory. Start to work without complaining. In other words, it's for God. So, brothers and sisters, let me say you something. You are not the priority of Christ's suffering. You are not. You're not the priority of Christ's death and resurrection. God's glory is. And that should shape your way of seeing yourself serving in your local church. It is because of God's glory. Nothing else. But verse 10, on the top of that, he's also worthy because he not just saved the people for God. As we heard from Pastor Day, it's not a matter of, a matter of get away from hell. He also made us kingdom and priests to God. And that's not a small thing. If you remember Paul's words to the Ephesians, we were enemies. In other words, Christ also conquered us. And if you think about your sanctification, he's still conquering you. And that's an amazing promise. And he made us kingdom and priest to God. He fulfilled what Adam in his priesthood failed. You see, he's also worthy because what he conquered here will endure forever. Revelation 21. We will reign on earth with him forever. So Christ did what Adam failed to do. He did what any no high priest had been able to do. He did what no Davidic king could do before. But the question, the question remains, how, how will you respond to that? And if you are here, you, you haven't... You haven't put your trust in Christ. Here's a, way, here's a way that you should respond to that. You should surround to the king. You should surround yourself to the conquering king. 
tonight if you haven't done this before. Now, if you are a believer, since Christ conquered you, remember Paul's words from Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you are not your own. You belong to the king. So live your life in a worthy manner of the gospel. That's the first response here for us. And the final one, I don't know if you, if you saw here. Because Jesus is going to redeem a people from every tribe. Did you see that? From every tribe, from every nation, from every language here. There is only one way for him to do that. It's by us going out and preaching, preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel. Why? Because Christ, brothers and sisters, is not only worthy of worship, but he's worthy of increasing worship. He's not only worthy for the elect people that are here today, he's also worthy for the elect that are out there. And he's waiting for those who are out there to be here worshiping him because he is worthy and those people right there are questioning themselves all those questions that we start today and we have the answer and the answer is yes there is a point to all of this the point is god's redemptive plan to make us a perfect people yes there is a goal that we are heading towards a perfect place no pain no cancer no suffering no death yes there is Someone in charge to all of this. The Lamb, the Lion, the King, our Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, history does have a final destination. One day, we will be enjoying God perfectly forever. That's why we should go out. That's why He's worthy. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for opening up our eyes to see the worthiness of the Lamb, the Son, your Son, Jesus Christ, who conquered everything for us and even conquered ourselves. Help us to, to believe and help us to proclaim those truths of the gospel. May your Holy Spirit apply those truths in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray.